So I'm calling this psalm uh, the God who wants to be known. Okay, as we look at this psalm, the God who wants to be known. I think it's a good way to put it. Summarize some of the what's going on in here. Uh, so let me read Psalm 19, and then we'll start jumping in. To the choir master of Psalm of David, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there, there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servants also from, the, from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Anybody remember the old Maranatha song that pulled up that last verse, Psalm 19:15? Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord. Yeah, it's a great song. Love it. All right, so that's Psalm 19. The God who wants to be known. Here's my... Let me go back here. So here's the outline, the way I've broken it out, because I think it flows, uh, this is how the psalm flows. And the focus will be on open, open eyes, verses 1 through 6, open ears, verses 7 through 11, open heart, verses 12 through 13, and open hands, verse 14. You think about prayer and worship, open hands, verse 14. So then, in many of the psalms, the centerpiece or the punchline, all the psalms have something of a punchline. There's like a high point in the psalm that everything is kind of circling around. Uh, Usually, in in many of the psalms, it's somewhere in the middle. But for other psalms, uh, it's one of the final verses. I mean, I think Psalm 19 is actually moving toward verse 14. That verse 14 is the climax. Okay, and so that's how we're going to actually delve into Psalm 19. So did anybody see anything as you were reading through Psalm 19? Did you see by any chance any connections with the previous Psalms? Or There are some connections with Psalm 18. No? Okay, that's fine. I'll bring them up. Be glad to bring them up when we get there. Okay? But I, I do want you to be reading the Psalms with that thought. These are together for a reason. Okay? And there, there is, it's not a real strong connection, but there are light connections. Again, just like our hymn book, if you open up the introduction of the hymn book and you look, it actually has the hymns set apart in topical fashion. Right? And so it, it's kind of the way the Psalms sort of work out. There's this connection with each, uh, between the Psalms, usually. All right, so uh, open eyes. So looking at verses 1 through 6, here's a thought question for us. 
If you were an Egyptian or you were a Hittite, what would stun you in verses 1 through 6? You don't know because you were never an Egyptian and you were never a Hittite. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, but if you were an if you're an Egyptian or a Hittite, you wouldn't see the splendor of the majesty of God. You would actually, as you're looking through all of those, the heavens, the sky, uh, the sun, especially when you get to the sun, you would see those as what? Anybody know? As God. That's what's surprising about this psalm is that none of those things are divine. They're all in subjection to the divine. Okay? And so it would be, if you, like I said, if you were an Egyptian or a Hittite and you started reading Psalm 19, uh, Psalm 19, you would be, wait a minute. But we worship all that stuff. And they're not worshipped. They're actually worshipping. You notice that? They're worshipping. They're actually worshipping someone else. Right? Does it make sense? Okay. Good. So the heavens declare the kavod el, the glory of God. What aspects and angles of the heavens do this? Look at the different phrase, the different terms. What aspects of the heavens are busy declaring the glory of God? Yeah, sky above. Yeah, in some sense, the day-to-day, day-by-day, or day-to-day pours out speech, night-to-night. So that would be, you know, you would think immediately of sun and moon, right, and stars. What else? Some of this not in the heavens, some other part of creation. Maybe down in verse 4. Yeah, the earth and the world, right? And then you come back to... Verses 5 and 6, and you have what part of creation there that's declaring the glory of God? The sun specifically, right? Okay, good. So we're in Psalm 19. That's where we are. But I want you to notice that the noisiness of verse 1 through 3 is a silent noisiness. Notice how verse 3 puts it. And it's a visual noisiness. That's what verse 4 begins to go move into. And notice that verse 3 tells you that there's really no physical speech and no physical word. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. So it's noisy, verse 1 and 2, and yet it's a silent noisiness. Does that make sense? No. Sure. Yeah. 
Uh, it's Paul's perspective, I think, in Romans chapter 1. great way to put it. What I'm trying to get across here is that it's a silent noisiness. It's noisy, but it's silent because, because it's primarily a visual noisiness. You know, sometimes when I wear a, one of those wonderful ties, somebody will come up and say, well, that tie is kind of loud, right? That's a visual noisiness. Does that make sense? Anybody else, else wear loud clothes or loud ties on occasion? Yeah, yes, yes. All right. And that's, that's the point. I think that's the point of verses one through six is that it's, it's silent. It's not actually physically screaming out words, but it's display. This is what Moose was talking about. It's displaying in the silence, but it's displaying in a way that is a declaration and a proclamation. And Paul talks about that when you get to Romans chapter 1, that God has not left himself without a witness, that all creation, he's put, he's put all kinds of evidence or indications of himself um, in all of creation. I always talk about, uh, in New Members class, I talk about... You know, if you, has anybody ever done pottery? When we were stationed in Turkey, we went to Avanos, which is up in, uh, co- close to Cappadocia, and I got to watch uh, a real potter kicking the wheel with his foot. And as he's doing this with his hands, there were, I noticed there were these really, really light but thin lines around the whole pot, right? And so his hands are like this as he's shaping it. But what would those lines be? Anybody know? What's on your fingers? Yeah, they are your, fing- your fingerprints, right? Would leave lines on the pot, okay? And so there's an indication that, that, you know, that this was done by human hands. In a similar way, you know, God's fingerprints are on all creation. That is where I usually go with that, so very good. So notice the playful joy of the sun. Notice the description of the sun in verses uh, 5 and 6. How is the playful, the playful joy, the celebratory joy of the sun displayed there? Like a bridegroom on the wedding day. Woohoo! Right? And so the playfulness in the sense of this movement, this uh, pleasure, this anticipation. So, um, which. Um, So in them he has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them and there's nothing hidden from its heat. I think that's interesting. There's nothing hidden from its heat. But there's almost a joyful playfulness. The sun is described as this joyful playfulness of a bridegroom, of a groom who's on his wedding day. Okay, and um, you think about um, Isaac when, when the servant brings back um, whatever her name was, Rachel, Rebecca, whatever her name, it was an R name, whatever the name was, brings her back, he takes her immediately to his mother's tent, and there's the wedding, now, you know, the, the wedding has happened, right? But there was a, he was out in the field, and he was all excited that she had come, right? So something very, very similar, the sun, he's pointing out that the sun, in a sense, has that playful joyfulness in his pleasure of God, and declaring who God is. So verses 1 through 6, move your eyes to look where? Where do verses 1 through 6 move your eyes to look? Yeah, the skies above, the creation itself, right? Yeah. And so uh, they leave you 
straining to hear what? If all creation is silent, but it is being a, it's a silent noisiness or a visual noisiness, it leaves you straining to hear what? I'm sorry? Yeah, the voice of God, right? So that's kind of where it leaves you there, okay? And so it does get you to move your eyes to look up. Do we have any hymns, by any chance, that kind of follow Psalm 19? Anybody know of any hymns? No, well, I happen to have one, so I thought I would just share it with you. This is my Father's world, and to my listening ears, all nature sings, and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my Father's world, I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees, of skies and seas, his hand the, his hand the wonders wrought. This is my Father's world, the birds their carols raise, the morning light, the lily white declare their maker's praise. This is my Father's world, he shines in all that's fair, in the rustling grass, I hear him pass, he speaks to me everywhere. This is my Father's world, oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems off so strong. So here we're doing creation, but now at this verse, it kind of moves where the rest of Psalm 19 goes. That though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied and earth and heaven be won. Right? It's a beautiful hymn. And it's taking off that structure you see with Psalm 19. By the way, Psalm 19 should encourage you to enjoy creation. So, anybody like spiders? I love spiders. Spiders are awesome. But especially orb weavers. You know, orb weavers usually come out in the city. Out in the country, it's a little bit different if you're out camping somewhere. But in the city, they usually come out around September, October. And you know the orb weavers because they're the ones whose webs you run into at night or early in the morning, right? Because they, I don't know why, they just have some affinity to put their web right where the sidewalks are, right? And it's a beautiful web if you ever take the chance to time to go out and watch them, the way they put it together. There's so much math and geometry going on and where they're coming from and how they have this anchor and that anchor has been there all day long. And then in the morning when you go back out and you watch them pull their web up, they actually pull the web up the, the strand and they start pushing the web back up and usually into the trees up into the leaves right it's really beautiful so I love watching them and but it's that it's Psalm 19 you're watching them because it's amazing because God is amazing and he's done amazing things in creation and creation is silently being noisy or visually noisy in that regard okay anybody gone to the Grand Canyon anybody ever awed at the Grand Canyon yeah, thank you. Okay, good. Yes, right. And so it's the same kind of thing. So don't, don't ever shy away from enjoying creation and letting your mind run to the one who made creation. Okay? All right. So that's verses 1 through 6. Anybody have any questions or anything on verses 1 through 6? Clarifications? All right, well, that's open eyes, now open ears, verses 7 through 11. So we've been left straining, wanting to hear the words of the Lord, now that we've seen creation declaring the glory of God, okay? So David is left with longing for more. After verses 1 through 6, he's left with longing for more. He's left with longing for clarification. And so where does he happily go as, as you look at verse 7 through 11? Yeah, God's... God's law, 
And, and, and it's all kinds of different aspects of the law. So the law, the, the Torah of Yahweh, the testimony of Yahweh, the precepts of Yahweh, the commandment of Yahweh, interesting enough, the fear of Yahweh, and the rules of Yahweh. Right? So he goes to the, he goes to the revelation of God. The God who wants to be known. Okay? Very good. So notice how often Yahweh is mentioned. Now, in your translation, it'll be all caps. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Notice how often that is start in Psalm 19. How many times do you see that? And where do you see it? Huh? Almost. So look. Look at, look at the law, right? The, the law of Yahweh. Do you see it? All caps. L-O-R-D. All caps, right? Okay? The same thing with the testimony of Yahweh, the precepts of Yahweh, the commandment of Yahweh, the fear of Yahweh, the rules of Yahweh. And then he goes on and uh, it's one, two, three, four, five, six, and then you get down to verse 14. Oh, Yahweh, my heart, my, my rock and my redeemer. Okay? So notice where the personal name of God shows up in this psalm. Where does the personal name of God show up in the song? What is David looking for, longing to hear? What is, where, where did he go? Right. He couldn't find the name of God, as it were, in nature. So it says the glory, or the kavod el, the glory of God, which any pagan can say, yeah, the glory of God. But now he moves and this, to this God who wants to be known in his law and testimony, and lo and behold, it's, he's very personal. The law of Yahweh, the testimony of Yahweh, the rules of Yahweh. Okay, does that make sense? And it's, you need to pay attention to that as you're reading through the Psalms because it, and other passages because it's significant, it's deeply significant when the name of God shows up. Okay? And so, like I said, the translators gave you a hint or gave you a code. When L-O-R-D is all caps, you know that's the personal name of God. Okay? And so, you know, if, uh, if Kristen was at home, if she's at home and she's talking to Randy and she says, husband, do this. Husband, do that. Husband, would you please get this? You would say, something's wrong with Kristen. But if she says, Randy, honey, my love. Randy, the, the thrill of my heart. Yeah, stop, stop. But when she says, Randy, that's personal. You see what I'm saying? It's, a, it's extremely important. And so to pay attention to that because God wants to be known. If He didn't want to be known, He never would have said, you know, never would have said, this is my name when He talked to Moses. When He said, this is the name that you'll tell them of the God who, who has revealed Himself to you, Yahweh. Okay? And so that's important. All right. So David just can't say enough in verses 7 through 9, he piles on nouns, adjectives, and verbs to mow us over. That's verses 7 through 9. It's just to make us, to just, just run us over with all of this. So notice the nouns, the adjectives, and the verbs. What do you see? What are the, what are the nouns in verses 7 through 9? That's not a noun. Huh? Yeah, law, testimony, rules, right? So there's the nouns, alright, so where are the verbs? Now, now how you can talk. Yeah, the reviving, right? 
reviving, making wise, rejoicing, enlightening. So what are the adjectives? Perfect, sure, right, pure, clean. I mean, you just get, you get a whole grammar lesson when you start reading verses 7 through 9, right? And it just overwhelms you. And that's the point. That's the point. This overwhelms you. It's meant to bowl you over or mow you over, however you want to say that, with, oh, why would I go, you know, how much time do I need to actually spend in this work, in this, with this God who wants to be known? And who's said, here, know me. I've given you my revelation. Does that make sense? Okay. So here's how Ralph Davis puts it in his book, Slogging Along the Path of Righteousness. Again, I just have to tell you, Ralph comes up with some of the best titles of his book, right? Slogging Along the Path of Righteousness. David wants to build up for you a total picture of Yahweh's true, reliable, soul-renewing, life-preserving, joy-inducing, energy-giving word that will hit you like a ton of bricks and make you say something like verse 10. Ah, sweeter to me than honey. Right? That's the point of our 7 through 9 is to draw you in to this, oh, yes, I should, I do, I enjoy the word because God is actually, wants to be known and He's saying something to us here. Okay? So I'm saying open ears because the word is not only read with our eyes, but in a society that is, was fairly illiterate, you didn't know the word unless the priests who could read read it. So it was an oral word very often. Okay? So, so David's descriptive jubilation leaves us smacking our lips in verse 10 and tasting the delight of God's word. What's, how does he describe God's uh, lip-smacking word? I love that. Huh? Sweeter than honey. Right? In a day that didn't really have any sugar or anything like that, you know. Dark chocolate would have been bitter and all that good stuff, you know. Honey was sweet. So more to be desired today than gold and much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Okay? Very good. It kind of reminds you when you read that language, it should remind you of Ezekiel. In chapter 3, was shown the scroll of God's judgment as law, and he's told to eat it. In Jeremiah, uh, your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became to me the joy and the delight of my heart. Revelation, John and Revelation. John, here's the scroll of my revelation. Eat it, and he eats it. Right? The same kind of thing, ingesting the word. You, you want it. It's savory in that regard. Okay? So, it doesn't use, the, the English Standard Version doesn't translate this as coveting. Um, but in verse 10, more to be desired are they than gold. That in the Hebrew is the very same Hebrew word as the 10th commandment, thou shalt not covet. Isn't that interesting? Coveting is not necessarily a sin. It depends on what you're coveting. Right? And so, yeah, so it's coveting lusting for or longing for how, whatever language you use that just says this deep, deep, real want. Okay? And that's the idea. Desiring is work. Okay? So before we get to verse 11, anybody have anything on verses 7 through up to 10 at this point? Questions?
Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Sure. Yeah. Anybody else? Yes. Yeah, so you bring that up. It's really interesting that the phrase, if you look back uh, in, at uh, verse, the end of verse 8, enlightening the eyes, and then it turns around and talks about honey in verse, in verse 10. Can you remember a, a story, an episode in Jonathan's life where there was honey and his eyes were brightened? It's the same Hebrew phrase. His eyes were brightened. Anybody remember that? Saul had made a vow because the Philistines were on the run. And he said, nobody can eat anything if they do off of their heads. You know, he was the queen of hearts, right? Oh, with their heads! Whatever it was. But anyways, and so Jonathan didn't hear that. They're all famished. They're all running. And he finds a honeycomb. He finds a beehive or something. He sticks a spear in there. Yeah. Anyways, he sticks a spear in there and then gets the honey off of it. And everybody gets on his case and he says, that's stupid. Look at how it brightened my eyes. And it was honey, right? It brightened my eyes and enlightened my eyes. It's the same, it's the same phrase used right there is what Jonathan said when he had honey. So I think it's very interesting, the connection here between those two. Lighten my eyes, and then the sweeter to me than honey and honeycomb. Okay? Great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could go through, and, and it'd, be, it'd be worth going through, it's actually sitting down and going through every one of these statements through verses 7 through 9. Because they're all just a little bit different aspects of the, of the Old Testament, of the law, like the, the testimony, the precepts, and so forth. Uh, but looking at the reviving the soul, making wise is simple, and all that. And, and, and as you go through that, actually stopping and saying, Lord, do I feel this way? Do I really feel that your word really revives me? If not, the fault lies where? In me, right. Yeah, okay. Very good. All right, so, oh, I said we've got to get to verse 11. 
on. <clears throat> verse 11 is a transitional verse to get us around the corner to where David wants to go and he desires to take us. And so, moreover, by them is your servant warned and in keeping them there's great reward. Okay, so what's one of the benefits of the law of God? Verse 11. Huh? A warning, right? And, and, and reward as well, right? So when we're reading Scripture, when we're actually taking it in, or we, we go listen to a sermon, or we go, any of those things, have, we ever, have you ever thought, I'm coming because I need to be warned? Lord, what do I need to be warned about? Most of the time, it's like, don't ever warn me. If you do, you're judgmental. Right? But coming and saying, no, I need to be warned. I mean, you don't know everything. I don't know everything. We don't know the traps that are set for us. We need to be warned at times. And there's great reward in those who keep it. Okay, good. So then, that was open ears. Then you go to open heart, verses 12 through 13. So this is where David is really getting to where he wants to go. Who can discern his error? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. So if God's servant is warned, verse 11, and rewarded by God's revelation of himself, the question makes open-hearted sense. When you get to verse 12, it makes very open-hearted sense. Who can discern his errors? This is why verse 11. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? I need you to guide me. To warn me, to correct me, to lead me, to, to put me on the right path. You see it? How that works? Okay. So at this point, to the end of verse 14, David has four pleas, four pleas or requests. Three of them are here in verses 12 through 13. So I just want to focus right now on 12 through 13. What are the three pleas or petitions or requests that David has in verses 12 through 13? Okay, yeah, first off, declare me innocent of, of hidden faults. Yeah, keep me from presumptuous sins. Okay, in the Old Testament, especially the law, it talks about high-handed sins. That's what he's talking about. That, Like the woman that was at the abortion clinic one day, and we were talk, trying to talk to her, and she said, oh, God will forgive me anyways. And she walked on in the clinic. That's high-handed sin. Presumption. Okay? So deliver me from presumption. Keep me from presumptuous sins. Alright, what's the third one? You don't know? Because it, it's there in verse 12. It's in verse thir- uh, right in the middle of verse 13. Yeah! I mean, think about that. Lord, don't let me get in, fall into presumptuous sins or allow them to dominate me. Now, that's huge. Right? Yes. Right. Sure. Yeah, that's the desire. That's why he's making the requests. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. And so notice the three requests there, there that are there. So notice it's declare me innocent of hidden faults, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins, let them not have dominion over me. And then he says, then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. If you do this, if you help me with this, then I will be innocent. Okay? So, is there a progression in the direction of these pleas? As you look at verse 12 and 13, the pleas, the three requests, is there a progression? Yes, very good. You read the rest of it. Yes, there is. Very good. Scott can read. That's awesome. There is a progression. Okay, let me put it this way. Hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from hidden faults, right? Think about it. Those secret sins that nobody knows you're involved in. Keep me back from those. But then notice the next part is the sense of progression or digression, if you want to call it that. Presumptuous sins. If these are milked, if the hidden faults are let go, let uh, grow in us, then it's not long before these begin to happen. Presumptuous sin. And then, ruin. Let them not have dominion over me. Okay? And so I think that that progression is intentional. It, it actually fits in with James chapter 1. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, but let each person, uh, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. Then sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. It's the same progression. But notice where he starts. He starts with hidden faults. Don't, you know, keep me back from hidden faults. Because this is where it goes. So you, you, usually, here's an example. So usually if somebody falls off the wagon or all of a sudden leaves their family and goes off with another lover or something like that, everybody is shocked. Oh, I never saw it coming. Well, you probably didn't because it all started right here. Sucking that, sucking that uh, uh, search, that's it. The certs of hidden faults. Does anybody ever do certs anymore or Tic Tacs or whatever? Right? The hidden faults. Just milking that and then it just grows and then the presumptuous sin and ruin. Okay? Yes, somebody had a hand up over here. Go ahead. Yeah, that can be just as much. Yeah, some translations have something a little bit different, but it, I mean, that, and I'm going to come back to the word hidden in just a minute. But it is that sense. But it's not just the ones. So that would be included, but just hidden faults, which some I don't know, and some I do know, and you don't know. Right? Both of them are hidden faults. Right? Okay, good. Somebody else, David? Did you have something? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Right. Right, that's the point, yeah. In fact, that's where he heads to, so that's why he goes in at the end of verse 13. He says, then I would blameless and innocent of great transgression. If you start with the hidden faults, right, the forgiveness, and forgiveness, in fact, you know, West 
or somebody here had a class about forgiveness and repentance. And so when you start talking about forgiveness, that means there's repentance. You're not just saying, God, forgive me and let me keep on doing what I was doing. When you say, God, forgive me, there should be repentance because I need to change. Right? And so that's very fitting to, to bring it up that way. Good. Anybody else? Okay. So still staying with the open hearts. Um, I already mentioned this. It's better to start at the earliest place possible. So think about James chapter 1. And that's it. It's better to start at the earliest place possible. The hidden faults, start working on those. Don't let them go, right? When desire tries to dominate you, don't go, don't give in to it to where you end up, then it gives birth to sin. It conceives and it gives birth to sin. And then sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. You try to take care of it at the, at the earliest possible place, okay? But if we don't tumble down that hill of dominating sins, then David asserts that we will be what? What? If we don't fall down that path or down the side of that cliff, hidden faults, presumptuous sins, dominating sins, if we don't fall down that, then what does he say? Um, what does he assert we will be? Blameless and innocent of great transgression. Okay? Now, that's very interesting. Notice that blamelessness does not mean sinless. It means doing what God wants, in, even with the sin involved. Paul called himself in Philippians 3, when I was a Jew, I was blameless regarding the law. That didn't mean he didn't sin. That meant he did all the right sacrifices at the right times and all those things. Okay? And so blameless does not necessarily mean sinless, but it is the idea of loyalty and integrity. Um, so how does that last sentence then fit in with chapter 18, verse 23 and 32? then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. What does chapter 18, 23 say? Huh? Yeah, I was blameless. 23, I was blameless before Him. I kept myself from guilt. Then in verse 32, 18, 32. He made my way blameless, right? He equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. And you see Him making my way blameless here in chapter 19. Help me to, get, to, to turn away from these hidden faults and not move into presumptuous sins or dominating sins. Then, by your grace, by your help, I will be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. That makes sense? Makes sense to me. Alright, so there was the connection, by the way. One of the connections was Psalm 18. Anybody on verses 12 and 13? Anything else? Somebody said to me one time years ago, said a woman who is 85% faithful to her husband is still unfaithful. Right? I mean, so going with what Moose was saying, I only want to be 85% blameless. Right? So that's a good, good point. Yeah, goals. So I always tell Wes, you know, if you, never, if you never have any goals, if you never have any high expectations, you're hardly ever disappointed. <laughs> that's 
All right, so verse 14, open hands. This is where I think David is going to in this whole psalm. He's moving to bring us together in verse 14. So this is the final plea or petition. So where does David want to set us up for our good and for our best? What does he... Do you look at verse 14? What does he want to set us up? Not a setup, but what does he want to set us up? Yeah. From the inside out. From my, the words of my mouth, my communication abilities, and from my heart. The place where often hidden sin is, right? The hidden faults. Right? So starting from the inside out, and the way it works out, may they be acceptable in your sight. Okay? It's a great, it's a great statement. Uh, I often pray it before the sermon, actually. You don't, you don't know that. But when I'm quietly praying up there uh, during the offering, it's one of the things that I'll come back to is Psalm 19, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer, my rock and my redeemer. So I want you to follow the line. Uh, Joanne already hinted at it, but follow the line of hidden. Notice that back in verse... Notice the word hidden is used back in verse 6. What is it in verse 6? How is it used in verse 6? Yeah, nothing is hidden from the heat of the sun. It exposes lots of things, right? So it's, it's, uh, the, the heat of the sun is you know, broad in that sense, and so nothing is hidden. But that's interesting. It's, nothing is hidden from it. So then... You get down to verse 12, declare me innocent from hidden faults. Here's one thing that's hidden from the the heat of the sun, my hidden faults. But you can move in there. And so then notice, he doesn't use the word hidden, but notice verse 14. What in verse 14 goes along with his request, declare me innocent of hidden faults? Meditations of my heart. Okay? I think that's great. And so you see that all the way through this psalm. You see that ties all three parts together. So David's description of the Lord in verse 14 goes hand in glove with another passage. Does anybody know what passage that goes hand in glove with? Yes! Good job, Brandon! He knew I was going to go there. So, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And then the first part of verse of chapter 18, I love you, O Lord, my strength, my rock. My fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, etc. Okay? So never forget that the Psalms, they're not quite like Lego blocks, but there's, there's these thin, light connections between the Psalms that go back and forth, especially the ones with the preceding ones. So, kind of summarizing this, drawing from, from creation's declaration, its silent, visually noisy declaration, to hearing God's word, to recognizing our vulnerable hearts, declare me innocent of secret faults, of hidden faults, keep me back from presumptuous sins, let the line of dominion over me, recognizing our vulnerable hearts and our desperate need of God's aid brings us then to worship Him. Verse 14, put the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart, except on your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Very much like Ambrose's hymn. Anybody know what hymn it is that Ambrose wrote that we sing on occasion? Anybody even know who Ambrose was? Augustine's pastor, instrumental in Augustine's conversion. And so we sing it. Oh, splendor. No, no, would you listen for creation here and how it moves? 
O splendor of God's glory, bright from light, eternal bringing light. O light of light, light's living spring, true day, all days illumining. Come very Son of heaven's love and lasting radiance from above. And pour the Holy Spirit's ray on all we think or do today. And now to you our prayers ascend, O Father, glorious without end. We plead with sovereign grace for power to conquer in temptations out. Confirm our will to do the right and keep our hearts from envy's blight. Let, let faith or eager fires renew and hate the false and love the truth. O joyful be the passing day with thoughts as pure as morning's ray. With faith like noontide shining bright, our souls unshadowed by the night. God's glory uh, gilds the earth and sky, let him our perfect morn arise. Uh, the Word in God the Father, one the Father imaged in the Son. Ambrose does exactly what's going on in Psalm 19. He pulls in where we can be stunned by creation and it leads us into worship and it leads us to want what God offers, to know the God who wants to be known. And then that prayer, most of the, the hymn, that prayer actually echoes very much verse 14. With the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. I love Anselm's uh, hymn. It's actually number 58 in our hymn book. And so, um, there you go. My little origami. That was, that's as far as I get with origami. So what does Psalm 19 inspire you to do? What does Psalm 19... Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, meditate, not just read, okay? What else does Psalm 19 inspire you to do? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. 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 Great illustration. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, very good. Okay, um, what does Psalm 19 stimulate you to pray? Besides what Sue Ann said. Sure. Yep. 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 Very good. What else does it stimulate you to pray? Yeah. That's a scary prayer. Search my heart, except for this one place over here. Oh yeah. Yeah. Give me give me a similar reverence for your law. I want I want to I want it to be I want it to be lip smacking. Yeah, deliver me from evil. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what does Psalm 19 move you to watch out for? I think Jim actually brought it up. 
when he used David as that illustration is he's, he, sees your, he sees Bathsheba and then all that progression that goes on it actually sounds very much like Psalm 19, verse 12 and 13. I think that's very good. So what does Psalm 19 motivate you to anticipate as we head into worship? Yes. Yeah, pray for me. If you don't have to pray for nobody else, pray for me. That's right. Lord, may the words of His mouth, the meditation of His heart. Yes. Yeah. Warn me. I need to be warned. Let me be open to being warned. Let me find great delight in what you have to say. You're the God who wants to be known. Very good. Okay. So, Christmas break for the next three Sunday mornings. There won't be any classes. We'll have the brunch next Sunday morning. Yummy, yummy. Looking forward to that. And then Christmas Day and New Year's Day, we won't have Sunday school. We'll have church, but we won't have Sunday school. And so, um, and then we'll kick back in the second Sunday of January. Okay? I think that helps. Yes. All right, well, let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your holy word. It's perfect, it's sure, it's right, it's pure, it's clean, it's true and righteous altogether. Lord, we pray that you would be with us, that we would desire and yearn it like we might desire and yearn and covet gold. That we would long for it, finding it sweeter to us than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. We pray that you would, that you would, you would show yourself to us in your word we, that we might be warned and so Lord declare us innocent from hidden faults keep back your servants also from presumptuous sins let them not have dominion over us but then by your good graces we will be blameless and innocent of great transgressions and so Lord we pray together what David ends this psalm with let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight O Lord my rock and my redeemer Amen